Stand beneath you on the hill. I'm going to sing this anyway because you're organizing your notes. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Wages Cinema. I'm Jack. That's right. Now, and, and Andrew is not talking we're to me doing because our, of my whistling. So we're doing our list Andrew. movies. That, I yes. give Jack a movie that he hasn't seen. Jack gives me a movie that I haven't seen. And we around and around we, we go. Talk about yes. So I get to talk first. Yes, uh, I'm very excited to to hear what you have to say about this movie because, uh, and we could start now, um, this is a movie that I feel like you kind of, and you watch because somebody recommends it to you. Like, do you think that you would have watched Brazil on your own? Well, I think it had been on my list because like they just talked about it so see? much on Welcome to the Basement. Oh, okay. Matt Sloan and Craig Johnson, they both love Brazil. I, I'm like not on, surprised. It's on their like top five list. That it's it's the Nostalgia Critics, uh, Doug Walker's all-time favorite movie. Oh, really? Yeah. But, but it's it gets this high, it has this high uh, praise. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me when I, uh, before we get into the movie, like when I was in college, when I, I was a freshman and I would ju- I just joined the Student Film Association, and I remember... One time I went out to get like lunch with the the, the president of the SFA, and uh, it was this woman who I don't even remember her name, but I I think that I you know in part I wanted to try and impress her with my my like my one short script that honestly wasn't very good, <laughs> and I also wanted to try to ask her out on a date or something, oh, and man. so and she just went on and on about Brazil. And I decided, all right, I'm going to go watch this movie because I do love Terry Gilliam. I love Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So let me finally check this out, and then maybe I'll have some common ground to talk about this movie. And um, it was quite an experience. Oh, yeah. time I saw it. It's – all right. I'm not it, even sure the where way, to start. Well, here, but, let me ask you a question. Okay. Here's, here's the big question that comes up with Brazil. What's with all the ducks? <laughs> Every single set full of ducks, and the first image or, or well, where it's, anyone it's, it's talks is a commercial for are are, do, are your ducks old and outdated? Try yeah. our new ducks with over a hundred different colors to match. Yeah. Your room. Well, not only that, it's a commercial where you're watching on a TV, and that at the end of the commercial, the TV set explodes in this shop, and it kind of sets up right away for you in like one minute. Okay, this world is. Full of all of this very urban, cloistered stuff, and it's going to blow up. Um, I I think that the ducks, if there's any way I can think about them... I mean, again, it's very much about this uh, dystopian city. There's no other word to use for it. Um, But before we get into the ducks, let's talk about the story. (laughs) This is the story of Sam Lowry, a bureaucrat in... uh, the Ministry of Information. Yes. And he is played by Jonathan Price. Yes. Uh, and he basically is on the search for a woman who he's seen in his dreams, which takes him all across this giant city and throughout society. 
And yeah, you well, get to see yeah. a lot of cool visuals. Yeah, well, it's it's Terry Gilliam. You, it is you kind can't... of like 1984 th- brought to you by Terry Gilliam. It's a like, little bit. Well, he, that's it's like the... he said. Here's here's the story of 1984. I, I'm gonna change some stuff, make it funny, great, make some great images, and here you go. Terry Gilliam enjoy. Is, Terry Gilliam has described this movie in two different ways, and I'm not quite, quite sure which one I enjoy more by the description. He the working title was 1984 and a half, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing was that he said it's uh, Franz Kafka by way of Walter Mitty. Mm. Um, which do you, I, do you know what else this reminds me of? Mm. With uh, about a grotesque society and uh, very strange images. This okay. reminds me a lot of the Holy Mountain. Hmm. It's like the Holy Mountain was mixed with Dark City. Yeah, maybe a little bit. That's what Brazil is. Yeah, yeah, it's Dark City. Um, you know, it. But but I think, but that comes to the heart of it. This is so visual. Oh yeah, it's full of practical effects of just like automated machines and robots. There are a few robots in there the, and like the, strange the, shopping centers. The and, dream scene where he's fighting the samurai, where that's yeah. basically a samurai robot. He he's wearing armor and he has this set of wings that he always flies around with. Yeah, everything is a set. It's it, I don't think you know if maybe there are some matte paintings, but this is in the age before CGI, of course. Yeah. And uh, and you could tell like and it's amazing. It's further amazing because it has such a scale to it. Yeah, and also it was a pretty low budget too for this kind of movie. I think it was maybe like nine or ten million dollars. That really surprises me. Yeah, he did a lot with this. Although I think that he also had to end up cutting a couple of things. Like he'd originally planned a dream in a dream sequence this entire sea of eyeballs <laughs> like looking around and following sam as he's uh, yeah. flying around um let's talk about how uh paperwork that to me i feel like that's one of the things that stuck with me for this movie and has kind of embedded myself embedded itself in my brain is how right he gets that you know we we what kills human beings a lot in society is just the drudgery of so many paperwork and so many forms. Oh, if you've ever had to apply for health insurance, <laughs> yeah, and you'll be able, you will be able to identify with this. I mean, yeah, paperwork is an unescapable part of our lives. Mm-hmm. Or, or, it's or so if you're great that yeah. Robert De Niro then comes in. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro plays a mechanic or sort of duct worker or <laughs> he he describes himself as a heating engineer, but yeah, he's actually but he's technically kind of a terrorist. He is he is this world's equivalent of a superhero vigilante mm-hmm. and his and he doesn't fight crime he fixes your heat and air conditioning yeah he, he's the paperwork. guy that comes in who <laughs> um yeah he he's the guy that comes in when you know you, you call up to try to get your ducks fixed and nobody comes for hours and hours and he comes in and uh you know, and part of it is that he wants to see that you're not just some bureaucratic stooge. And it's like in that one moment where, you know, Robert De Niro comes in in the middle of the night and helps Sam out, where Sam could just <laughs> he, very easily rat on yeah. De Niro, but he doesn't. He fixes his he fixes his heating at, at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Why? I'm coming here for the action, the excitement. Get in and out, a man alone. Yeah, and he he's the, he's the direct counterpart to Bob Hoskins, mm. uh, 
character. Bob Hoskins and the other guy. Yeah, the other guy. Yeah, they're like from Central Services. Yeah, they're like the cable guy of (laughs) of 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 uh, of services. They come whenever they need to, and yet do anything without filling. And yet you can stop them by asking if they have a form that they don't have. Um, I mean, there are a lot of grotesque images. Uh, It's interesting that yeah, you bring up the Holy Mountain because now I'm just thinking about plastic surgery. Yeah, his mother. Yeah. Like who when you first see his mother, her face is being stretched. Yes. And and they fix up her face by basically putting her in like plastic wrap. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's pretty disturbing. <laughs> uh pretty you know, and all of her friends are also similarly made up. Um it's just <laughs> that that brings me to I think the image that's going to stick to my brain from this film. Okay. It comes towards the end when when Sam is uh trying to escape from uh uh-huh. from from captivity and yeah. he comes across this funeral. Hmm. You remember what I'm talking about? Uh remind me. Okay, he's trying to escape and he he goes through this door and he ends up like in this funeral and his mom is, it looks like like 20. Oh! Yeah. Then, oh God. Yeah. Then, his like, mother is even like crazier looking. And her and her friend and her, her friend has died, and Sam is trying to escape, and he pushes the lid off the casket, but then the casket tips over too. Yeah. And it's just full of this ooze. That, yeah. That just flows out because this woman has degraded so much, and I'm like, oh God. Well, good luck sleeping tonight. It's, yeah. It's it's what's interesting is that even though it's set in. Like is it's set it, in the twentieth century. Yeah, it's not set in the future. It's set in the look is nineteen forties film noir in a way. It has a lot of dark alleys and corridors. The characters are stressed up in such a way. But then you have these sequences where you know Sam is you know in his flying mode and all these pillars come up. That's another image I remember yeah. when he gets stuck in like the dream world. You know that has another quality to it. It's like there are all these different things that are coming together in this movie, and in a way, it almost shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, um, I, it's everything fits together so seamlessly. Mm-hmm. They, uh, uh, Terry Gilliam, like he's created one of the best otherworldly cities that feels like a real place. Like, yeah, and I you don't say, even know, and you don't even know if it's uh, the city's actually Brazil. No, uh, it's Brazil, about the state of mind. Brazil is just it's the name of the movie because that's the name of the song that keeps playing throughout. The, yeah, and I think that he said that he film. he he heard. I remember hearing the story that he he was like on a beach somewhere while he was filming uh, My Python: The Meaning of Life, and. He just heard this song playing distantly down the beach, and he just got this image in his head of somebody having trying to achieve some kind of idyllic paradise or something and not getting to it. Yeah, and that's where this you know the movie comes from, and that's that's something I love too is that you know this guy is chasing these dreams, but he's just so stuck in this super dreary world, which yeah. you know you can relate to. But let's talk about Jonathan Price too. I uh, he was yeah he's fantastic. I only in this know movie. Jonathan Price from this his character work. He was a Bond villain in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, he was, and, and he's played all sorts of little. Th- I think he was in Pirates of the Caribbean too, wasn't he? 
Yes, he yeah, played he, the, he, he played the her father, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, he and, uh, uh, he pops I, up in a lot of things. He pops over up the in years. movies all over the place, and he he's just like a character actor who, if you need like a British sounding guy or like a colonial governor, well, yeah, Jonathan Price is your man. Yeah, if you and ever, he's, yeah, if and, you ever watch Game of Thrones, he has a great role in that too. Yeah, but I mean, not known for playing a leading role, and he's just perfect in this yeah well it's because he has that kind of status like you wouldn't it wouldn't work if de niro was in this role for example no. you need somebody who looks pretty normal de niro he, pretty well sits he, he he he's pretty well put in place as the yes. as the rogue heating technician yeah he he basically comes in like uh you know, technician Batman. Yeah. Ian Holm is in this too. He yeah, plays, Ian Holm. He plays uh, Sam's boss. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh Michael Palin. Oh, Michael as... Palin is fantastic here. <laughs> uh, the whole. Uh, yeah. Do me a favor, Sam. Stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and how he comes back near the end is just like oh, so terrifying. Oh yeah. How he he just like because you know he's because Sam is in that moment where he's finally kind of messed up to the point where he's going to be, you know, tortured. And the figure that comes into this room, I'm not going to say who it is, but he's in a giant mask. Yeah. That, that stuck with me for a while, too. Mm. Um, it's funny, when I saw this with uh, Corey years ago, like, she actually was like, eh, I don't know if I responded that much to the romance stuff, but the as a political scientist, this movie is a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, the romance drives the plot. Yeah. It's not... I don't think it's important as a romance in itself. It is It is a kind of MacGuffin, although it does serve a little bit more of a purpose than just being an abstract thing to pursue. Yeah. There is another thing I want to point out, though, uh, towards the end, when in that same escaping part where yeah. we talk, we were talking about before, there is a Battleship Potemkin reference. Oh, yeah, there is. There, there's there? that gunfight in the hallway, and there's that floor buffer mm -hmm. who gets shot in the eye, and you see, the, you see your head go back going, ah! And then the floor buffer goes down the yeah. set of stairs, <laughs> and then the troops march down the yeah. thing. I, I knew it! I caught it. Yeah, exactly. Um... A couple interesting things to bring up. Um, so, there are three versions of this movie. Oh, great. Now, I don't know which version you watched. Uh, hopefully, you watched the right one. Um, there was the... Um, uh, there was the, the full director's cut. Um, I don't think I saw any director's cut. Um, there was... Well, there's there, there are three versions. Okay. There, there's one that's 142 minutes. Uh, I don't need it. Uh, there's the full. There's a slight. There's a sh version that's like nine minutes shorter. That was the version that first went out into theaters everywhere, and that was also that was also Gilliam's cut. But he was asked by the studio to try to shorten as much as he could. Hmm. Then it is this, a long movie though. It's, it's it is two hours it's a twenty full, minutes. Yeah, that that's the full director's cut. There was a third version made though by the studio because there was threats by the studio that all right, we don't get your movie. We're gonna have to completely rework this. And if you go, if you get the Criterion box set, or I guess the Blu-ray edition, there's like a 94-minute quote "Love Conquers All" version, <laughs> which basically makes it so that Sam and uh, uh, what, what was her Jill. character's name, Jill, wind up together at the end. Right. And Gilliam was just horrified by this, and no. he. You know, it, it was like the studio gave him such problems. It's weird because they didn't give him problems while he was making the movie, but once he was done... Yeah, uh, they did see the script, didn't they? I would think they would have, but I think the thing was it was originally made kind of 
no, I'm not going to say independently, but he he kind of made the movie himself in England, but it was still a universal production. And so he showed it to the studio, and they were like, oh, we don't get this. And, you know, we have I, to we have to sell this as, like, the best movie ever made, or it's not going to make any money, and that's all they cared about. And in a way, like, the producer, when he heard that news, he was like, oh, that's a great compliment. And Terry Gilliam's like, no, it's not. <laughs> um <laughs> And so there's a big, there's a great story about the Battle of Brazil. I, I suggest that book. Um, so final words, anything else about this movie? I'm trying to figure out what, what, what part, what place this has in my life. <laughs> because I know this is That's a, great a great movie. Yeah. Because and it's got so such great visuals and it's got a real a really good story and great good common and good comedy. But I'm trying to figure out what does this mean to me. That's an interesting way to put it. Well, maybe this will also be the kind of movie that you return to over the years, though. Hopefully, yeah. Um, and I hope that's the case. Um, right. Okay. Um, so that uh, was, that's Brazil. Yes, and uh, you should all should check it out. It's uh, often called Terry Gilliam's masterpiece for a reason. Today, their control reaches out into space. Tomorrow, will it girdle the globe? There's nothing you can do to stop us. Leave us alone. So we have our next movie now to talk about, which I watched. Something a little less momentous, but hopefully something no, which but can... still very British. Yes. That could be our connecting tissue for these two Well, that and also kind of society's turned upside down. Right, so tell, so tell us what is the story of children, uh, Village of the Damned. Yeah, not Children of the Damned. Children of the, the Damned is the sequel. Sorry. Yes, Village of the Damned um, concerns the small town or a village, we should say, of Midwich in England. Uh, one day, uh, all the people in town uh, just fall asleep at the exact same moment. Not just people, but also pets. You see, like, the dog and other Everything animals. Everything that can sleep. Everything that can sleep, sleep passes out and blacks out. And it turns out the entire village is like this. Uh, people can't call in. They don't know what's going on. Uh, the army and other officials try to figure out what's going on. And, like, planes, if somebody flies into the area... Uh, like, I feel bad for that one pilot, by the way, who dies needlessly. It because... is kind of unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> um, everybody wakes up. Everybody wakes up. Months later, they find out that... Uh, oh, the women in town are yeah. pregnant. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though. It wasn't all the women. It was just kind of like a select group. About a dozen. Was it a dozen? It Not felt like it was like si- It felt like it was like six or seven. I, I'm pretty sure there are a dozen kids in that classroom. It felt a little less than that. So let's let's say it's around <laughs> let's say ten. So um, and on, and not only that. Now at first, you know, you get the sense. All right, so maybe you know, oh, it's just a baby boom or something. But no, as it turns out, there are a couple of women who are pregnant who have never had sex before. Like oh, there's yeah. a seventeen-year-old. And it's surprising. This is. It seems like it's going to be just like a regular sci-fi film. But when these things happen, when 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 women the women find give birth, out they're pregnant. Yeah, they kind of uh, some, like one of them is really happy. This is you know the wife of the main character. They're very happy. But then there's a woman whose husband has been away for a year. Yeah, and he thinks when he comes back that she's been cheating on him. And yeah. there's also a 17 year old girl whose parents are very yeah. very upset. That's right, exactly. And, you know, it's it's 1960s Britain where 
that well of... really 1950s britain if you're talking about 1960 it's in that transition period so either everything way, is still it's either way are very... you're dealing with small rural conservative britain and so there's a real people unease do not in take the air kindly to these crazy things and yeah. I mean, it's so it's so great in the movie that they acknowledge that yeah and also that the fact that they abortion is not even a concept that they could even really think of so you know they have these kids and also, also it, though, we wouldn't have a movie. No, that's true. <laughs> they wouldn't have a movie. Um, they start to realize things are off kind of right away when one of the doctors sees that uh, one of the women is seven months pre- is not she's five months pregnant, but the fetus is seven months along. Yeah. And then they give birth, and the kids grow at a rapid rate. Like, yeah. you see a one-year-old who looks like they're five. Yeah. And then, you know, they cut ahead... They don't really say in the movie, but I'm guessing it's maybe a year or two later, and they're already, uh, you know, like seven or eight years old looking. Yeah, and they got and white hair. And white hair, eyes. and even though it's in black and white, technically, I think they're supposed to be albino. And but the main, the main, all these children are uh, have this leader. His name is David. He is played by an, uh, an actor who was in The Innocents. I yes 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 yes. Let me just quickly look up that name because I have it written down here. But it, they find out that all these children are basically like a hive mind. They have psychic powers. They're clearly unearthly children. Yes. And like if one person, one child learns one thing, all the other children learn the same thing. That's so right. that's the setup. Mm-hmm. You of course I've seen this before. You you just saw this. What do you think is the what is the horror element of this film? Um, oh, by the way, the the actor is named Martin Stevens. Who Martin is the, Stevens. He was the little boy in The Innocents. Right. I think the innoc- I think the horror element here is that uh, a large element of not knowing, but also the pace of it. Now, because in, in essence, this is a body snatcher story. It involves what we can assume is an alien force that's come into the uh, come to this world, and uh, not not completely unlike uh, Alien, you could say, have you know gone into your body and made this alien force come out. It's just that here it Except appears here, to be it comes, human. It comes from your womb and not yeah, from your chest. No, yeah, yeah, that 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 that's true. Um, I think it has to do with factors of direction and presentation more than how so well you know the fact that you're seeing this group of kids walking together in a group they're all dressed in black and have and then when they turn to look at yeah, people they all dress alike yeah they all dress alike they move and as one they basically. move kind of as one uh if when they're in a group uh, if someone, if you know, at one point you get the first sense when bullies are kind of like throwing stuff at them they give them a look and all their eyes light up at once. Yeah. Um, now, is this scary to you? Um, it was it was eerie. I would say that. I think that I think eerie and scary. I mean, I was never sitting in my seat going like, ah! but um, <laughs> but I I I felt the I felt a little bit of terror. I mean, just the fact. I think that something about the the fact that these characters can. Uh, make someone lose control of their body and, you know, kill themselves is a pretty frightening aspect. I mean, uh, you know, to me that was going, uh, something I should have mentioned when I talked about Children of the Damned. To me, the ideal 
thing about what what would have been a good sequel is seeing okay if we're gonna have new characters who are these alien things or something like that what if we see them as adults maybe they're not as creepy though maybe it's because they're children maybe it's because that's part of the horror element is because you know you usually they, expect children to be kind of happy and playful um maybe yeah, it's, these children it's kind of, are eerie and very serious. yeah well that's and kind also of, well, that's it's connected. the idea that these are all these are all children and they have this incredible power mm-hmm. i mean i that's why part of reason again I, I need i wanted to have a couple horror movies to talk about this month but it's interesting that this and the innocence aside from having the same actor and both being british it's also about what do you think what's your when you come to this movie what do you think about children and how will that kind of influence how you're seeing these things because how creepy you find all these kids being completely blank faced and without emotion will determine probably how scary you find it um i think the and it's interesting that this is also the second movie on the list that is an original uh, that was remade by John Carpenter, and I had <laughs> yeah. seen the John Carpenter remake, but not the original, because uh, we also did the thing earlier. Yeah, I remember. Um, I um, and I'm not, a, I'm not. I actually, the Village of the Damned remake isn't very good for me. It just, for me, it felt kind of rote and not very interesting. This, I think that a big driving force too, intellectually speaking, maybe this is where more of the sci-fi part comes in is this sort of split with the adults in town uh, that they get this information that other children in other parts of the world, that this has happened before. Yeah. Uh, the main thing is that Eskimos uh, notice that these kids were born and that they thought it was a little fishy that they had light hair in a world where everybody has black hair. Yeah. Um, but George Sanders is like, wait, 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 wait. no, 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 we, we can't do this. We need to study them a little bit. This might give us information that we could really use. And everybody's like, uh, I don't know. I um, think though he had a point. I mean, he, he did. Oh yeah. The what he's a, George Sanders plays a scientist. He's also the father. Yeah, he's of a psychologist, I think. And he's trying to, and something very extraordinary has, is happening. Yes. And he wants the opportunity to really study it rather than simply destroying what seems to be a clear threat. Yeah, because, well, it's also the question of would these kids be such a threat if they were left alone or something? That was a thought I had watching both this movie and the sequel. Um, Another thought I had, by the way, when I was watching the sequel, um, and I guess to an extent this movie, imagine if you did another version of this story, but you did it from the kid's point of view. And you could make it like uh, Last Temptation of Christ, where you know it's about a kid who has to grapple with the fact that they they're really this super demonic alien force, but they're also half human. Now, here's something I that I would have liked, which you you thankfully brought up, is that they don't bring up so much the the children really have no personality. The only no, chi- they don't. The only child who ever gets to speak is David, and he's and, and he's and he's dubbed by the way. And that makes sense because well, they're all hive mind. Only one needs to speak. Yeah. But it would have been interesting to think to look at well, what are their relationships to their parents? How mm. do they feel about certain things? Like how do they do they love their parents? Are they just these puppets for this sort of alien purpose? Well, I would think that the reason why again, this is a movie that when we talk about characters point of view 
it's from the adults' point of view in town. Like, you don't really get where the kids are in this. Right, but there are moments where Barbara Shelley, she's the mo- David's mother, She's she clearly cares about David. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but David is... is He's always very calm. He never re- he never really shows much emotion. I mean, she seems to be looking for something in him, some sort of love. I think or that's affection. where I think that's where a lot of the horror comes in as well. It's like, what if, you know, it, maybe in a way similar. Again, I bring up Body Snatchers because that's also a movie where, uh, if you remember from the Invasion of Body Snatchers, when you become the Body Snatcher, you suddenly lose emotion in your face. Right um, now, I'm not saying though that we should have. We, there should have been a scene where we saw one of these children caring about their parents. Although I, you, I, you know, if they, mm. if they don't feel anything for their parents, then okay. But maybe but that, I but think, maybe that, but they could have ex- how the parents react to them. Like, you know, I got the sense that they showed, I think, did they show any other parents in town? I feel like they did. Rarely. Yeah. I, there was this one guy who, who says, Oh, we got to destroy them before they destroy us. I, I think he's like a grandfather of one of them, but, yeah. but there's never really, the other parents are basically done away with because all the other children move to this one place to live. And yeah. we pretty much divorce all the other parents from the narrative. Yeah. The only parents who count are George Sanders character and Barbara Shelley's character, but yeah, they, but their relationship to the children is never really explored. No, I, maybe that could have made the movie. It's, it seems better. like there's something, there's some potential in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because what if, after living on Earth for several years, what, someone did form an attachment to their parents, yeah. or you know, how would that play out? Or and you know, and perhaps you needed to turn on them because they're obviously afraid of you. Yeah, I, they, or though maybe that's what they reacted to. Maybe they did sense the fear in their parents. That's, and well, yeah, it's hard to form an attachment with someone you're you're who's afraid of you. I think the question also is again, how human are they? Are they you know, is it just they clearly their... look human? Well, they look human because they've come out of a human womb and they have human parts, but they came, but they're also from this uh, otherworldly they, they are, force. They are unearthly. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, just this is a slight spoiler for uh, Children of the Damned. So if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead a minute or two. La, 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 la. All right. Um, one problem <laughs> I, I had with Children of the Damned was that they. I don't know if you could call it retconning, but they changed how, like, you kind of get the sense from Village of the Damned, all right, this is from some alien force. Right. In Children of the Damned, the explanation becomes, and this comes late in the movie from some doctor who's analyzed DNA from humans versus the kids' DNA, that they're actually human beings a million years in the future. (laughs) (laughs) That they're the evolved us. Which, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, on the one hand, that's an interesting idea, but you've crammed it into this series where you've already set that up. Clearly, that's a very big idea. (laughs) Yes. But although the origin of the children is never explained in the the, the first story. Yeah, well, there's a lot of wiggle room in there. There might be. I, uh, you don't see a single flying saucer or alien. Get no, involved. no, no. And I like that. I do like that you have that air of mystery. Yeah. Um. But, uh. But again, what else could create a giant force field over a town? Like to eh, me, this is people. this would be also. I have to check. I'd have to think this is an episode of the X Files. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I like this movie quite a bit. Uh, to just say, it, it's also about... very straightforward. There is it. It's seventy-seven minutes long. Yeah, no filler in this. It, no. It's very lean movie. No lame lectures about where people come from or how do we kill it. No, the <laughs> only kind of lectures you sort of get are when you know George Sanders is trying to appeal to you know, let's maybe we should have some science here. And yeah. then there's like a shot where he's talking to the room and the, the shot actually pans away from him to show everybody All looking skeptical where, yeah, well officials. again, that, that to me is where the commentary comes into the movie that I'm not going to say it's satirical, but there is an element where, um, okay, what do we look at with this other that we don't understand, which was a staple of a lot of sci-fi movies. Um, I, I, I also, one thing about the ending, I'm still not quite sure if I like the brick wall thing. I think that's kind of lame. <laughs> well, we have to end it somehow. So, those are our two movies. Yes, uh, and if you want to check out these movies, uh, you can do so. They're available uh, wherever videos are sold or libraries. Uh, videos? Yes, videos. <laughs> So, if you have an unearthly child with platinum blonde hair, or, or, or a hapless bureaucrat just looking for love, check out these movies. You yeah, might identify. And if you want to send us, and if you want to send us an email, you don't have to send us a twenty-seven B stroke six. You can just type in wagesofcinema at gmail dot com, and we'll get it. Yeah, no paperwork here. <laughs> yeah, no ducks. We won't. You don't. Uh, but make sure it's wages of cinema. Don't put. You know, uh, wages of like cinema with like a ch or something. You know, buttle tuttle sort of thing. When we come back, we yes. have our discussion of horror. What, namely, what is it? What is this? Bong.